Hey, this is Brendan Gersall, and you are listening to the Speaking of Podcast. Today, I sit down with another one of my heroes. I've been trying to do that a little bit more. I hope you enjoy my conversation today. It is with a real special guest, a man named Larry Osborne. He's the pastor of North Coast Church in sunny San Diego, California. And he is a real legend to guys like me, leaders in the church. Me and my my colleagues, some of us call him Yoda. He is just the guy who has so much wisdom and experience. He was there, kind of one of the originators and inventors, one of the first people to do a multi-site model for his church. He pastors one of America's most influential and ingenuitive churches. His church has more people connected to, to community groups than they do who attend on the weekend, which is an incredible thing. He's written a book called Sticky Church, among many, many others. And that's just really influenced so many people like myself. Larry Osborne is such a gift to the kingdom, and he's a gift to me. And I think you're going to enjoy my conversation with him today. You might have already heard this conversation on the Canadian Church Leaders podcast, but today I'm excited to bring this to the Speaking of podcast. Here is my conversation with Larry Osborne. Well, Larry, thanks so much for joining us today. I am uh, really honored and thrilled that you take the time to to talk to me and some other leaders around Canada. It is uh, just a privilege to to be able to connect with you. So, uh, Larry Osborne, uh, one of the lead pastors at North Coast Church in beautiful San Diego, California. Um, I'm a little jealous of the weather there as an Atlantic Canadian. Um, Although right now it's the time to live in Atlantic Canada is right, right this minute, but uh, that'll change come January. So thanks for being with us, Larry. I, uh, I want to jump in, I want to jump into some conversations, obviously surrounding uh, the coronavirus and the things leading through this crisis and all that. I want to get to some of that. I think you'll have a lot of really helpful insights on just leading through the reality of, of this time. Before I do that, I'd love to talk for a minute because you've been just so instrumental in this and uh, such a leader in this particular area. I want to talk to you about just like raising leaders. And even as I introduced you, I, I introduced you as one of the, the lead pastors at North Coast Church. And yet you were the you were the senior pastor, the lead pastor when it was like 100, 130 people or so. And you led that all the way right up to, to current day. And yet throughout that, you have been successful at not just handing off leadership, but raising up other leaders with, with real, actual, shared authority. And I find it such a, even as, my own, as, my, as a leader myself, there's such a difference between like, you know, thinking that's a good idea and then actually being able to, to give real authoritative leadership away um, and, and man, I, I just find that such an incredible thing you've done. And I, I wanted to ask you the question, like where, how have you developed that over the years and where did that even begin to become a thing that you realize if I'm going to kind of build this church in a healthy way and I'm going to be the leader that God has created me to be, it's going to be through other people. Where did you find that? When, when God bursts something uh, in your heart, you look in the rearview mirror often later on and you realize you didn't come up with things you thought as much as uh, God directed you that way through your experiences. Right. Uh, so, so, for instance, Brent, when I think of uh, big L leaders who accomplish really significant things, uh, their vision is usually made up of two things. The worst things they saw in their life and they're trying to prove you can do this without that. And the best things they've experienced that they're trying to pull back and recreate. And right. that creates a unique vision as God uses the bad and the good and says, okay, now this is your journey. Uh, when I look back on my life, I realized a lot of it had to do with the home I was raised in. Uh, right. I have no uh, performance angst because of a father wound. Uh, I was a basketball player and I was loved just as much when I scored a lot of points or didn't. Uh, I never got that come home and, and let me show you all the things you did wrong sort of stuff. The other part, I was a point guard whose number one job is to distribute and uh, win. Uh, and uh, that's a different thing than you're, you know, if you're into basketball, the two guard and your job's to score, et cetera, whatever. Uh, and so really early on, I had this bias, plus even biblically, or, uh, one of my heroes when I read the book of Acts as a new Christian uh, late in my high school years is when I came to Jesus. I love Barnabas something that just triggered me like this guy was always he was a winner. Uh, right. who looked it up other people. 
So somewhere around uh, the second year of uh, my journey at North Coast Church, I came the first Sunday, there were 70 adults. It wasn't, I didn't plan it. I came, it was a year and a half old as a church plant, meeting a high school cafeteria. And by the time we got to 90 or 100, it just dawned on me that the leadership part of even a small church of 90 to 100 is way bigger than I imagined. And historically would be a large church. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet we were moving in directions where people had churches of two, three, four, five hundred, and they were the only leader Mm -hmm. Uh, and everybody else was a helper. Uh, And what we're in, we're in kind of a new dynamic uh, where you think a church of 90 to 100 is small. Historically, for 2000 years, you sure didn't. Right. And that's why the New Testament doesn't talk about leadership or small groups, because it was a small group. Uh, you, didn't need, you didn't need leadership for a house church or a, a group. You needed to be a chaplain. So you right. read old books on ministry. They're all about prayer and all of this stuff, and they're spot on for the church it was in. But it doesn't work if you're a bishop or whatever title you want to use over a bunch of them. And so that dawned on me, and, and I began to realize that most churches I was in, and by the way, let me step back one other piece. Uh, I was a youth pastor at the Second Baptist, it's now called Converge in the States, Baptist General Conference Church in the country. And at 23, 24 years old, I got to be their second preacher, which meant some Sunday nights and, you know, Labor Day out down here in the States or, you know, all the Sundays that, you know, nobody wanted. But still, that was really weird uh, to get that opportunity. They loved me and I loved them. And yet I left and I left because I realized I couldn't fly in that environment. Uh, Uh, There was a, the pastor treated me great. I got platformed. Uh, I was informed, even brought into decisions. What do you think? But there was a doorway over there. And behind that were a group of people called elders or top leadership team. And I knew it'd be 15 years before I was in that room. Right. They thought I was just being, I mean, I was, Everything from honored, well-paid, to privileged, to speak. But you know what? I wanted to lead. I didn't have to be the leader, but I wanted to lead. And so they thought I'd just fried my brains on drugs or something when I I went from that prestigious position to a tiny group of 70 adults meeting in a high school. They they had had a cut in pay. They had no paradigm for it. But it's like, I can fly in this cage, guys. Uh, And so... As our church slowly began to grow, somewhere around the couple hundred mark, it hit me that uh, I'm going to always be losing my young eagles if I don't find a way that they can fly in this cage. Right. That's what, that's what drove it is when God calls somebody away, great. But when they leave because they can't lead here, I don't think that's so great because right. bigger things may need multiple leaders. And so the paradigm I would use, Brent, that was my aha moment was I I realized most churches are run like a sole proprietorship with valued employees. And uh, I wanted to take my cues, since the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how to run it, from a law firm, a CPA firm, a marketing firm, where you have partners and employees both. And not everybody's a partner. But a partner has way more juice and way more information than a sole proprietor does. Right. And so at a couple hundred people in my tribe, and this is only for my tribe, maybe, but the word associate means too young to have your own or not gifted enough to have your own. Right. Okay. So I decided I would call those whose next job or were qualified now to be a senior pastor, senior pastor. And I would give them pulpit time, not on the bad weeks, but weeks in which I was there, uh, which would platform them. Uh, and so instead of preaching 46, 45 times a year, I got myself down to 35, 38, which was revolutionary back then. Right. Especially, I'm not on a mission trips uh, because I'm positioning this person now as the other preacher, not the substitute when Larry's out of town at a conference, vacation, et cetera. Uh, and and I began to give them information and the title. Because here's what's happened. Let's say you're a complainer and something went wrong at a company. And you're one of those who keeps, can I talk to your supervisor, supervisor, supervisor? You might go all the way to the owner. I want to talk to the owner. Mm-hmm. But when someone takes up the phone and says, I'm one of the partners, you don't go, I want the managing partner. Right. Right? Right. And, and so this is where people got confused on our shared leadership. I was always, until the last few years where Chris Brown and I did a temporary co-pastorate, I was always the managing partner. Yeah. 
but a managing partner and a partner have a very different relationship than an owner and a valued employee. Right. Uh, right. What I often tell people is who knows your salary uh, in a partnership, they know your salary uh, in a valued uh, uh, valued employee doesn't know it. Uh, wow. And so that, that would be just one example uh, preaching when I'm in town, uh, no black box. A lot of times in a succession, uh, there's this little black box of information that you get the day you take the baton, right? Well, at North Coast, there's no black box. They already have access to all that. They have access to all of that. And again, it's not 20 people. It's three to five. Right. Most. Most we ever had was five. Uh, but what I want to tell you is that kept uh, young, gifted leaders a long, long time. Yeah, when they, that's just so evident when when I'm around. I've have the have the, had the privilege to be out with you a few times now, and one of the big things I just notice is you 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 still at at every phase of your leadership and ministry continue to draw young leaders, like high capacity leaders, like even meeting uh, some of your campus pastors, <laughs> like campus staff. You know, like man, I would love to have a guy like that on on my team and it's so evident that you've been able to to really give those opportunities to like the the young eagles like you use that term but like that's so counterintuitive i think i heard you say one time like um you know leaders really struggle to not take the last shot to go back to the 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 basketball analogy and i'm a basketball player too and i am a two guard so i'm i'm used to shooting and it's like it's how do you you know, I think there's a couple of things that really hamstring us from really being able to, to do it like you've been able to do it, Larry. And, you know, one of the things would be just fear that they're not going to be able to shoot as good as me or just the ego of, I want to be the one that gets the basket. I want to be the guy that gets the yeah. glory in that. How do you, what, what advice would you give? Cause I think we all believe biblically speaking the, the model that you have, you've demonstrated, like with this sort of shared authoritative leadership, it's more biblical. Uh, it's something that, that Jesus seemed to institute. I think though, in, in actual terms, we all struggle with it in, in, you know, in the best case scenario, we have really high value employees. Right. You know, the the Bible says a lot about ego. Yeah. None of it good. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so there are a number of things that go in, into this. Uh, one of them you'll want me to come back to is the importance of platforming. Yep. Uh, and the other one is the importance of influence. But even before that, it's your mindset. Do you want to win and grow or do you want to be the star? You have to make a choice. Right. Uh, basketball, I played on a team in which I was the leading scorer, MVP, and all that kind of stuff that was 1-17. in 17. Uh, my senior year, I came off the bench for a team that was, they didn't have a California State Championship. If they did, we would have been one of the four to six teams invited, eight invited. Um, and right then I decided which was better. Come off the bench on a winner. Right. The star of a loser. Right. But a lot of people have never come to that conclusion. They've never had the experience. They they think if, 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 if uh, I diminish, uh, then I'm losing rather than actually you could be winning. So think of Russian nesting dolls. Can you picture them? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and so what happens is we're a lot like that. One of those Russian nesting dolls are made out of that really light wood. And as the church gets bigger and bigger, more and more pressure, you just feel like somebody could take you and just crush you. And they could. Yeah. So we start saying, I need help. And what we do is we get two or three smaller nesting dolls underneath us. And you know what? We can't be crushed anymore. Right. We got strength. But the thing can't get bigger than us anymore. Or you could get bigger nesting dolls that are bigger than you and pile those up. And you're still going to have that safety, but the thing can grow. And so one of the things when it came to building teams for me, and obviously there's some roles where you just want the function done. Yeah. But when it came to, to leadership, I always wanted somebody who was better than me at whatever they were going to do or something. And that meant that I'm no longer always a star. Uh, I have areas of pretty giftedness, uh, pretty strong giftedness. You couldn't accomplish what I have if you didn't have that ability to do it. Uh, but at the same time, when it, I, I'm uh, strangely for a pastor gifted in finances and those kind of pictures, I wanted somebody smarter than me. Right. When it came to an XP, I wanted a guy who was a better team builder than I am. Uh, and uh, 
when it, it came to preachers. Uh, Chris Brown is a more gifted communicator than I will ever be in my life. Uh, and so some people are better than you in lots of things or maybe one thing, but you can't build a team that will grow something if right. you're getting smaller nesting dolls. Right, right. Now, then what, what do you do when you keep them? Yeah. To, well, to keep them, they have to have platform mm -hmm. and uh, they, have to, uh, they have to have influence. So that means uh, like on my desk, I had an invisible sign that said, find a way to say yes. Right. Okay. So somebody's coming in that's a, a young eagle. And by the way, every young person is not an eagle. Every young leader isn't. Most of them are just birds and some are turkeys. Uh, but uh, when you have a really young eagle, there's going to be times where you're convinced it would look so much better red and they want to paint it green. Find a way to say yes to green. Right. Find a way to say yes. Find a way to say yes. Because if you're always playing the dad role, people have got to move out from dad. You got to play the big brother role. Right. Which means you're supportive and, and bite your lip and let some things be done. And then the platform's unique to every organization. Uh, when Chris Brown was the face of the place for Azusa Pacific College, uh, they were shocked when he left to come join our team because they treated him well. They platformed him everywhere they thought. But in reality, because he didn't have an advanced degree at a college degree, but not a master's or doctorate, uh, every graduation, he couldn't sit on the stage. Right. You know, he had to sit somewhere else. I mean, there were all of these little subtle things. They had no clue. They just thought, well, we're giving you applause. Right. And that's, what, that's what that Baptist church did with me is until I'm in that room, uh, for me, that's why titles. So you got to look around and say what's significant. Yeah, uh, to keep a Chris Brown as gifted as he was before we made the transition that he's one AM one B. Um, about eight years ago, I had him preach an Easter, right? Because he's so stinking good. I mean, this is a guy who speaks main stage at the Willow Summit, right? Yeah, you know how in the world do I always preach Easter? Right. Now I had to preach the next one so people knew that I wasn't leaving, and we yeah. traded off. Until about three or four years, they understood I wasn't leaving. He's better than me with a special event like that. And it's like, yeah, you're going to do them from now on. Right. So how do you, I mean, you talk about how to, how to keep them, how to give them influence, give them platform. How do you find them though? Whether, you know, use the, use the term, you know, managing partner or see, you know, senior partners. I've heard you use the term co-pilots, like where do you find people? Cause it's easier said than done. Like, I, I don't know if some of the, some of the maybe people listening to this podcast, like I don't feel like there's a, a, a multitude of, uh, of leaders who are just like so incredible flocking. Like, I think, I think you have to learn how to figure out who see potential in people and call it out of them. And I don't see you just letting everybody preach whenever and just, you know, I, I have a friend who is a famous baseball scout. Uh, and uh, former major league player, but he's famous baseball scout. A couple of the best drafts in base uh, uh, history. Uh, he's the guy who picked Mike Trout. If your listeners are uh, baseball fans, twenty had him number one on his board and got him at number twenty-five. Eight wow. guys from that draft made made the major leagues, and and so every year I go to a baseball game with him and we do a scout dump. And I realized there are so many similarities. Uh, that I just intuitively had done, but didn't have words for. So for instance, in a minor league system, when you got the best one around, you don't let somebody come up and uh, uh, play in the majors uh, because they've been a faithful uh, member of your minor league system for eight years. Right. You only bring them up if you think they're going to hit 285 or have an under three ERA. Right. And you find out they can or they can't afterward. So one of the mistakes I find is, is people – do not understand what I mentioned a little bit earlier, that every young bird is not an eagle. Right. And so they're, they're hunting around, or they're hunting around for a full-grown eagle, bald eagle. It's like, right. no, a young eagle is going to get to be a bald eagle, but you catch them early, and they're going to make a mess in the cage every now and then, but you know who they are. Right. Uh, and you treat them differently. You give them opportunities. Uh, so... You know, when he, when he looks at, at people, he projects what they can be, not what they are. Right. And a, and a dynasty has the ability to say, you're not as good as the current one, but you'll be better than the current one. Right. Now within shouting distance. So we're going to trade the current starter and put you in it. 
Gotcha. And, and yeah. that's where, like, a lot of times churches, I don't know, in Canada, do you guys play uh, shotgun ever when you get uh, going somewhere, somebody yells out shotgun? Like in the car? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what's no, a, when you yell shotgun, what's that mean? It means that you get the front seat. You're not driving. You get the front seat. For how long? Indefinitely, until we stop. Okay. Is but there a time in the United States? Yeah. In the oh. churches, you know what that means? What? What? You, 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 the first one there, and there they get the front seat till they die. Not the end of the trip, till they oh. die. Like it's claiming that's how American. Yeah, and 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 so so what? Ha that that's not how shotgun works. Right. It's same for you, but in the church, it's like, uh, you know what? You're really gifted, but somebody has tenure on you. Right. So you lose your young worship leader because you're not playing the best or the one who's going to become the best. You're playing the one that was there first. Yes. Uh, that that Baptist church I was a part of, again, they were so honoring me. It was ridiculous. I have nothing but praise for what they poured into my life. But they also taught me that tenure is a really sucky way to grow something. Yeah. Because yeah. that was the only reason I wasn't there. I'm your second preacher. You're, you're taking me out to lunch to say, what do you think of this idea? You're actually listening and changing based on me, but yeah. you know what? You'll let, never let me in the room. So, so much of what you're saying though, Larry really does require true humility. Like whether it's like overcoming false humility to not call a spade, like call a spade a spade and to be pretend like pretentious, like, or dealing with your own ego, you know, what's the, what's the secret here, right? Like in, I think we, we get hung up on both of those extremes. We don't, we don't want to be honest with somebody who, who might be a turkey. And if there is an ego, we might be too fearful or like our ego might be getting in the way of the ego. What, what, what advice do you have? Well, and again, that's why I go back to winning. I tell you, you have to decide, do you want to win or do you want praise? Right. Right. Two different things. It's same with our preaching. Slowly we start preaching for applause instead of discipleship and life change. Right. right. Yes. Uh, whether it's social media or old school cards, we read those and we're shaped by where the applause goes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, our mission, we often start with mission. We get mission creep. And instead of uh, we're aiming at a target and our arrow is two feet to the left, the next arrow splits that arrow. The next arrow splits that arrow. We're really good at hitting that spot. So we move the target over to where the arrows land. Right. right. <laughs> and, and, and it's the same way in this area. We have to decide, are we really about Jesus or do we just say that in sermons? And keeping that in front of us at all. Yeah. Do we have a nice little sermon on Barnabas or is it really okay when it becomes Saul and Barnabas instead of Barnabas and Saul? Right. Uh, and I will tell everybody when they move towards lifting up other people, there are going to be points that are hurtful. I remember the first time that a family I was very close to decided uh, they um, had come to Jesus and they were going to get baptized. And they asked Mike Yearly, who at that point was the other main preacher with me. There were three of us in those roles. And they asked him to baptize them. And so it's really easy to be a servant leader as long as everybody knows that's Pastor Larry. But when right. they ask you to go get him, get him a glass of water and they don't know it, then, hey, who do you think I am? I'm just pretending here. Yeah, yeah. You seem to be able to, and that's one of the reasons I, I just admire you so much, is that you've been able to, you're honest about the fact that, no, this is this is an ongoing battle with my own my own ego, my own insecurity that I have to, I have to crucify, you know, in allegiance to Christ and in the big picture of what I think is actually better, you know, for the kingdom, for me. For all of it. And one of the things, Larry, just to sort of shift gears, because it's in the same vein, though, of this, like, you know, keeping kind of the big picture and also just just humility is one of the things that have really, really struck me in, in hearing you talk has been, you know, you've you've written books, you've grown a, a huge influential church, you've done so many things. I was really, um, you know, really moved. I remember hearing you talk about one time leaving some things on the table that like you, you don't really embrace that sort of, you know, in, in the, you still work very hard. Uh, you, you go, you, you contribute. And yet um, when I'm around you, I find you, you know, relaxed, thoughtful, tempered, even chill, you know, like they're in typical kind of SoCal fashion. And, and it's so like, it's so refreshing to be around 
And, and I just remember hearing you talk about, and it just first time I'd ever heard it this way, like the difference between, um, you know, your calling and potential and that, um, you know, I think we get those two things mixed up a lot and you, and you, yeah. you really helped me a lot. And I'd love it if you'd share, like, like help us yeah. unpack that a little bit more on your decision to, at a certain point in your life, leave some things on the table and what went into that? Well, we live in a culture in which we bow the knee to potential. There are two gods of our culture, uh, Western European influence culture, and that uh, the God of sex uh, and, and the God of potential, goddess of potential. Uh, and so you listen to our debates about sexuality. They all are pretty much centered on a life that never had a sexual uh, expression, uh, full sexual expression is a life that wasn't worth living. That's an undercurrent. So therefore, and then the argument goes on. Once you start there, it's predetermined where you're going to end. Right. The other one we do, and what we're talking about now is potential. And everybody thinks the worst life lived is a life that didn't meet its potential. The worst parent is a parent that didn't help their child reach potential. Mm-hmm. And that is a purely secular, secular, damnable from the pit concept. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we're not called to reach our potential. Uh, we're called to fulfill our calling. Right. And, and, and the, uh, one of the problems for us as English speakers especially is there's a parable about talents. And every other language hears that it's a parable of the money bags, but because a talent, that amount of money, is synonymous with a skill set, we think we have to maximize all our skills when that passage says that that would be like way down the list of illustrations, except for the quirk of the language, and therefore it's the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the biblical passage, well, first of all, I had an example from my dad, I had encouragement from a mentor, and then I had a biblical passage. And the passage is 1 Corinthians uh, 7 where it says that you and I, if we're going to reach our full potential for God, need to stay single. We'll have right. an undivided, right? Stay single is the only way you will reach your full potential for Jesus. Do everything you could. And then he says, but if you're going to burn, go ahead and get married. Well, full disclosure, I was going to burn, so I got married. Then he says, when you do, you'll have a divided mind, but you have not sinned. In other words, it, it, it is God's calling for you to maximize, in my case, my bride. And present Nancy in all of her fullness. So therefore, yeah. it's no longer about me and all that I could be. Uh, and then, and then, then we had a child. Yeah. Uh, and after a child now, my potential's cut back one more than another child. Then we had a mistake by the lake. Next thing I know, I had four big chips. Uh, and the, the practical application of that for me was I, was I have a gift to write, obviously, or yeah. Yeah. some people think I do. Yeah. Uh, I was writing my third book. Uh, and my seven-year-oldest son said, I don't like it when dad writes, he doesn't play with me. Now that night, Nancy and I decided that I will not write another book till all three kids are in college. So that was 13 to 15 years off the grid, which meant no books, right. which meant less influence because the book leads to speaking, which leads to influence, et cetera. It just was off the grid. And we probably had one of the larger churches in, in the country that nobody knew about. Right. Because my calling was to be a good pastor and a good dad. Right. Not write every book I could. And I tell people now, uh, my runway is 13 to 15 years shorter at this point in my life than it would be. I would have done everything I've done now, written everything I've written, and kingdom influence everything I've done 13 years ago. Yeah. But my calling was to raise my kids to love Jesus. And now I have three kids, 30 to 35, married with kids who all love Jesus, love the local church, serve in it for free. They're in the marketplace. So that means they didn't just take dad's business. Yeah. Uh, what more joy could I have than five more books and right. a couple more thousand people in our church? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. we've just been killed by potential. We spend money we don't have and time we don't have. Uh, tied to potential, by the way, Brent, is one more thing called legacy. Right. Right. Millennials only want a world-changing job so they can have a legacy, and then they get ripped on unfairly because boomers and everybody else wants a legacy. Boomers call it about a legacy left behind. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell both groups, dude, the Bible actually says you're a miss. Here today, gone tomorrow. Right. Nobody remembers their great-great-grandpa unless he was famous or infamous or right. grandpa. So right. why are you killing yourself to have some building named after you? Yeah, it seems like these like like potential can be such a robber of joy 
you know, I mean, I, I remember it was such a eureka moment when, when I heard you talk about that um, in a different con context. And at that time I was like, well, if I'm going to reach my potential, I need to, I need to start writing books and I've got some ideas and I think I could do that. And I just, you just sort of lifted a bit of a burden that like, it was a false burden that God didn't really place on my shoulders that kind of culture and expectations of, you know, I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to be a large church pastor. And then I guess I'm going to have to write these books and all these things. And it's like, yeah, maybe, but it's not, God, God hasn't called me to that necessarily. It's my, I could do it, but it's, it's different than, than being called. I am called to my family. I am called to this community hundred percent. Yeah. And at, at the end of the day, there's nobody sadder than a co- person who climbed a guy or a gal who climbed to the top only to find out their family walked away from Jesus. Uh, now we can't control it in the garden of, of Eden. You had perfect environment, no sin nature, and we'll call God the parent, perfect parenting. You had rebellion. So uh, yeah. let, let's follow Ezekiel. What is it? 1821. Don't bl- you know, the dad eats our grapes, the kids, you know, teeth turn on edge. So everybody's responsible for what they do. But at the end of the day, what influence did I have? Right. Yep. You know, my goal was three things. They'd love God. Yes. Uh, they'd love the local church. And they think dad being a pastor was a great job. Right. And they won't think it was a great job because I was on the cover of magazines, spoke at big conferences. When I die, there's a little statement in Christianity today. Right. They're going to think I was a great dad. And what, I'm glad my dad was a pastor because he had keys to the kitchen and let me sneak some ice cream. Right. Because he introduced me to people I would have never met. And because he could adjust his schedule, he was at my games. Right. He was there. He didn't buy the myth of, of quality time because quality is only found in quantity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a huge precedent on that a little bit, Larry. Cause like, I think that's a, a huge well, thing. I might yeah. The, the line we have, and again, it, being a pastor is not a union job. Uh, that's not a slam at union in this day and age. We got to watch everything you say, but it's an owner's type job. It's going to be, you know, 50, 55 hours. But when it's 60 and 70, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and then we cover it with this myth of quality time, a date night. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, dude, I don't care if you have a date night. That's great. But if you need a date night, something's really wrong. Yeah. I don't care if you have a sabbatical, but if you need a sabbatical, something's really wrong. You're not teaching your leaders how to lead something and have margin. Right. And uh, if you try to have quality time with your kids, it just doesn't work out. Let me just go back to sports. I like sports. It was yeah. part of my life. Uh, I, I never, my kids could not schedule the game. They're going to p- pitch a no hitter or they were going to score a bunch of points. Yeah. Uh, I, I had to be in a lot of games to see the home run. Yeah. Uh, and quality time just doesn't work out that way. You yeah. just yeah. got to be there. And then it just happens. Volume, quantity, just consistency. Absolutely. And I think we, I think we hear that in the back of our minds where we kind of silence that out and, and think I'm going to just going to maximize this 30 minutes I have with my son. And it's, uh, it's, it's what you're saying is true. And yeah, well, yeah. any, anybody would say a junior high to early high school knows your kids are going to go through a period where they're embarrassed by you. And it's not that you're a pastor. You could be a plumber, whatever. They're just coming into their own. And I had a quiet daughter that I've got, we've got such an awesome relationship with her and her husband and the kids. But when she was a freshman and sophomore, she, she ran uh, cross country and track. And I would pick her up every day after practice. Hey, Rach, how was today? Okay. That's it. The whole way home. Yeah. And then every now and then, how was today? And boom, the whole world would come out. And wow. that's why I picked her up every day. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. say, okay, I'm going to pick you up on Thursdays and you're going to open up. Right. I'm going to pick you up every day. And if you want to talk a lot, we'll talk a lot. You don't want to talk. I'm just there loving you by my presence. Right. And, uh, you know, somewhere around her junior, senior year, it was no longer that silence. It was just chatterbox all the time. And I, I got there because I was there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so huge. And um, it's it's just something that I think, I, I think a lot of people, especially leaders, in the, what they would call the, the prime of their, you know, their lives, like that, that's right at the tension of where am I going to give my best energy? And I, I find my, I find myself having to fight that tension of, you know, my calling versus my potential and, and navigating those, those, those two things. 
And here's one other thing. I, um, I tell some of our staff when they're feeling the pressure to please everybody that you're, I call it, you're just the flowers. And they go, well, what do you mean by that? And it's from my daughter's wedding uh, that uh, when, um, when Rachel was married, she was the last of my three kids to get married, plus my only daughter. So you want to put on the dog. Plus, we'd even moved into our new massive facility. So we had all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. There was a, a baker and a florist that we wanted for the wedding. And we went and said, can we have, we're already booked. And we went, oh, man, is there any way? What if, what if we pay a premium and help pay the other people something else? And we tried all these ways to get the ones we want. And they said no. And we walked out. Here's what they thought. Oh, man, I just wrecked their day. I wrecked their wedding. You know what we did? We walked out, went to another florist and got different flowers and a different cake. Mm -hmm. And that's the people go, oh, I so it would be so meaningful if you'd show up at this party. It would be so meaningful if you'd be here. It would be so meaningful if. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're just the flowers. Yes. Why, Why are you missing out on your family to be somebody else's bouquet? Right. Yeah. So they say pastor was there. Yeah. I think we feel this kind of gravitational obligation towards just like honoring people's expectations. It's, and I don't know if we can even like dissect how much of it is out of a genuine, we don't want God to look bad, like, or a genuine, we don't, don't want us to look bad. But I, I think both of those are rooted in a lie. And that's kind of what you're getting at here. And, and that is that, that we're a bigger deal than we actually are. Yeah, yeah. But not only are we a bigger deal, but the flip side of it, we're a smaller deal. And since you're not there, they, they still have a great party. Right. That's they the- just wanted you there for bragging rights. They wanted you there because they like you. They wanted you. There's a bunch of good reasons. I'm honored by that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I will go to as many as I can without sacrificing the sense of dad's always gone. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do that. I'd rather have my people say he never comes. Then my kids say, dad's never here. Yeah. Wow. That's so, so important. Um, Larry, just in the time we have left, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, we've been talking about health quite a bit and we'd probably be remiss to, to, to just ignore the elephant in the, you know, the, the room, I guess, so to speak, uh, this kind of Corona crisis. I mean, when it's everybody's dealing with certain degrees, I mean, anxiety and mental health, these things are kind of redlining across the board all over the world but i think we're seeing it um very uh predominantly in in church leaders even i I read a statistic i think a week or two ago just saying there are more pastors like considering just packing it in right now than 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 ever before like at least in recent history and just some really concerning just trends and data i think rooted in a sense of helplessness in this time where you know i'll be the first to say i there's just more questions than answers and and i just feel like there's a lot of walls and barriers that we just can't move and we just kind of have to wait and that's not a comfortable place for a guy like me um or or many of the leaders who are listening um there's a there's a a, a, just a sense of no good answers for your people like you have one person who who's like, hey, get open up. You should be sticking it to the man and and tell the government where to go. And and then you have another person that's like, how dare you even consider having more than you know three people who aren't family in the same room? So there's no good answers and people coming to you with real tough questions that you can't help them with. And then just a sense of like a like a shifting landscape, I think, going on for so many leaders that they don't you know, what they were good at it might be moving a little bit. And, and then just general, like probably pastors going through some sense of withdrawal, even I, I would say like the, the high of having a Sunday service every week. And so there's just a variety uh, of reasons why I think people are struggling that are, are pretty obvious, but, you know, I want to ask you about like, not just how you're leading your church in a healthy way, but even, even personal health through crisis you know, how are you, even as a leader, you know, you're still very involved in the point leadership at North Coast. Like, how are you guys kind of approaching this sort of pandemic right now? Where are you at and how are you kind of looking forward and and, and steering the ship in the, you know, this sort of, 
I said to somebody the other day, it feels like leading King's church through this has been like trying to drive a cruise liner through whitewater rapids. And we're just throwing our weight from one side of the boat to the other, just trying not to hit a giant rock and split the thing open. How are you, you know, leading North coast through this? Like what's kind of guiding you as you guide your church? Well, as as you find yourself in a crisis, what I tell people is you, you have to you have to step back and be calm. Mm. People look to their leaders to be calm, not Paul, you know, Pollyanna, uh, but calm. Mm. Uh, and so the first thing for me is it's amazing to me how many of us see ourselves as spiritual leaders and Bible teachers, but we always approach the Bible with binoculars. Uh, or as binoculars to point out everybody else what they need to do. And, and back to servant leadership we were talking about, yeah. uh, you know, Barnabas and Paul, we saw, we preach on it, but don't hate it when we live it. Yeah. And so I think a lot of us, if we're not careful, uh, like everybody else, we find our identity in our role. We yeah. don't we preach identity in Christ, but it's in our role. Yeah. Uh, we preach, we grow through, uh, um, difficulties, and that's where character is honed and shaped. But we don't really believe that's true of us. Yeah. Uh, and and so, to me, a starting point is getting grounded. I think a lot of times, pastors' primary devotion is God. I need vision, and God, I need passion. Mm. And I think sometimes quit reading the Bible to get your vision and your passion. Why don't you just read it to get some obedience? Wow. Uh, and and so there's a huge place there for me in this, that if I read it, uh, it's like I am going to be misunderstood. How come I can preach that, but I'm blown away by it when my congregation is split 50-50? Right. Uh, how, how can I preach God has a what and a when and they're different? And Moses, man, could have spent 40 years uh, in the palace instead of the wilderness if he hadn't taken his, you know, he knew he was deliverer and he jumped too quick in Acts. Right. Yes. Uh, but but then I'm going, oh, man, just what am I supposed to do with my first world problem of the way I describe my experience really for us is it was a whirlwind at the beginning. And now it's like living in molasses. Yes. Uh, it's like I'm, I feel like I'm living Groundhog Day right now. Yes. Well, listen, throughout history, what what have a lot of farmers felt? What have a lot of agrarian people, what have persecuted people felt? What have it's like I am so so self-centric in my flesh. Yeah. And it's really hard to lead people well when I haven't first of all looked in the mirror and said, do I really believe this stuff? Yes. Oh, and once I work it through myself, then I can preach out of uh, authenticity rather than notes. Uh, you know, a prophet's message is not what somebody said in a commentary. A prophet's message is what God told the prophet. Yeah. And it usually starts with, the things I see in scripture, I'm rebuked, corrected, instructed, and righteousness with. Yeah. Uh, so at that point, it's just willing to be weighed and willing to be misunderstood because everybody's looking for the magic bullet. Yeah. You know, Chris Brown has really led us directionally far more than me now because the last two years he's, he's our managing partner, not me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Chris has done a really good job of being vulnerable, of being open of changing. Uh, I've, I've mentioned to you a favorite quote of mine from Bezos, the people who are right all the time are the people who change their mind a lot. Right. Uh, so you say one thing one week, the circumstances and facts change, you change for that. Yeah. Uh, instead of being so prideful, you can't say I was wrong or oh, situations have changed. Uh, but most of it, we are in a season of going through the wilderness. And that's the only way you get from Egypt, the other side of the Red Sea to the promised land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so there isn't a secret, you know, there's going to be manna every day, mm -hmm. but what I want is, okay, I'd really like this manna, but could I have a little more stored up in the warehouse? Right. Uh, it just make me a little more secure as like, okay, the budget's gone surprisingly well now, but will it next year? And, and again, we, can't we just learn to live what we preach? Yeah. As said, most pastors only read the Bible for passion how can I restore that first love and vision? And I go, no, it's read for obedience. Yeah. Oh, man. And when we read the Bible, I don't know if you've noticed it, but every time my, I naturally read the Bible, I'm the hero of the story. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. I'm Moses. I'm Daniel. I'm his three yeah. friends. Yeah. And, and in reality, it never dawns on us that, no, actually, 
in the Jesus story, I'm not even Zacchaeus. I'm the crowd. You're the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the unnamed little dude. And when I begin to get that in my heart and soul, it's okay. Yeah. Because everybody wants to be Moses. Yeah. And no, actually, I'm the third generation in slavery, head of a household, yeah. trying to pass on the faith, and it's going to go for 400 years. Yeah. Uh, that perspective helps you slog. And then one day you wake up and you go, hey. dang it. I'm on the other side. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that, I think that day's coming and I keep, I keep reciting that to myself and our team that there is going to come a time where this is in the rear view mirror, but you know, I, I hear you saying Larry, and I, and I've been feeling this myself, like not to miss the invitation in this season to like this season is, is, is revealing things about me that I maybe thought weren't there. Like if you asked me eight months ago, you know, Brent, do you have a control problem? I would have said, no, not at all. And, and now, you know, until you lose control and, and then you realize, okay, yeah, there's actually some, some things there. The Lord's revealed. Like, I think, is it maybe to, to quote another rich, rich white dude, um, is it Warren Buffett that said like, no one knows who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. You don't really know what's going on beneath the surface until there's one of these seasons like this. And I've, I've found that even revealing things about you know, my motivations um, as a leader for this church, like is, you know, we were, we were talking there earlier, Larry, and you're talking about like not letting off the gas on being willing to spend and being willing to take risk and all that. And I'm like, I, I'm, I've been fighting that. I imagine other leaders are as well. Like you so easily in these times of crises, crisis, you, you, you default into this preservation mode. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you, you've, you've just put the, you know, expiry date on the effectiveness of your ministry, because God isn't really interested in saving the church. He's interested in spending it on the saving of the world. Mm -hmm. and I've been finding just like these things I didn't think were really in there, actually in there in this season where God's revealing that to me. It's, uh, we, we are so, uh, let me step back, say this, we find our identity and our accomplishments and our role. Hey, I'm, I'm Larry Osborne, our pastor. And then I, I, I go to bed with a smile on my face because I pastor one of the larger churches in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I go, how sick is that? Right. Because first of all, I didn't do it. And I, second of all, I would be no better if I had one of the smaller churches in the country than one of the bigger, you know, it's just like so weird how we fall into these, these crazy traps. And then if you're accomplishment driven, that's how you're finding your identity. This kind of time becomes all the worse because you're losing time. Right. It would be like me during those 10 years, 13, 15 years of not writing rather saying, Oh, I'm losing time on the books. Yep. No, the books were done. Yep. I didn't know. I frankly thought I'd never write another one. I never knew I'd, you know, have another seven that would come out in the next, once they got in college, they started spitting out real quick. I didn't know if anybody would want them. I'd have interest or, and right now is actually a time of great gift. I mean, you can play games with your kids. Right. Uh, my my grandkids, uh, all, all, they all live near here. They the families come over on Sunday afternoons and creating. They're living their best life ever. Uh, I'm the one who's going. Man, we'll never hit those numbers we used to hit. You know, pre COVID. I'm the one. It's like, what's wrong with that? Uh, it's a time to learn a new hobby. Uh, you know, I'm trying to take barbecuing to the next level. I'll watch some. YouTube things about how to do this, how to make that. I literally was for about an hour this morning, just tone, you know, honing up on uh, fajitas and the right marinade and all. And there's this leader thing in you that says, "Oh, you shouldn't be doing that." And I'm going, "He's given me a Sabbath." Yeah. Wow. And, I, and the Sabbath was a gift of rest, not a gift of intensity. We've turned it into intensity. Right. Right. Yeah. It was. I know the harvest is there, and every other nation loses a day. But if you'll just relax and have a holiday, hmm. I will make sure the harvest is just as good. So I'm telling people left and right, practically, those listening, yeah. take the time and margin you have right now to chase some fun things. Wow. Enjoy, enjoy. I mean, there's gifts I'm being given in this right now that I always thought, well, I'll do that if I retire. I'll do that. I'm like, no, do it right now. Yeah. I, I have been thinking about that the Psalm 23 where it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. And I yeah. wonder if this is in a season where he's making a lot of even church leaders just lie down in green pastures and smell the roses and wait on him and rest and recuperate, yeah. even be set free from 
ty- tyrannical addictions to, uh, you know, things that are slave drivers in the end, like potential. Like it's funny you say, like I, I've literally had the thought go through my mind, like, man, I'm never going to get this year back. You know, like I'm not going to never going to get that. Like just like this crazy. And, and you see it, you see it in the children of Israel when they. We, we did, right before COVID hit and the last part of last year, we hit, you know, there's these magic numbers that you think you'll be happy when you hit them. Yep. And you never and the magic number of over 13,000 people showing up every showing up, not on a list every weekend at our, our local campuses. Yep. That'll probably never happen in my lifetime now again. Yeah. You know, only because there's more internet, there's COVID, all that. And it's like, okay. Yeah. But but again, I the natural way we live is how can I get to 13.5? How I can get to 14? How can I get to 15? Right. And, and it might be, how do I get from 13 to 20 people? I mean, the, it, the yeah. number just has more zeros, but the goal keeps moving further and further away. Yeah, I think that's such huge, just a huge conversation for church leaders right now is, is, just figuring out how to properly engage and embrace this time and not allow it to rob us and not feel guilty. Yeah. You know, you know, the scriptures say the Lord has given us all good things to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a poverty gospel out there sometimes yeah. that, that says, and, and the truth of scripture is when he Abraham's, you have a party, when he jobs, you accept it. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. like, why are you jobing yourself? Right. You know, he's, I've had all those seasons, uh, yeah. ups and the downs. And right now I'm going, okay, I'm going to have some fun and I'm not, I'm going to feel guilty, but I'm not going to let that guilt overtake me. Right. Yeah. That's, that's huge, Larry. And it's probably a good spot to bring it in for a landing. Any, any final thoughts or encouragements you'd give? I mean, I think you've been such an encouragement already, but, uh, just any, any last thoughts on leading in, in crisis and maybe a word for Canadian leaders? Well, just keep on keeping on. We never know till the end of the story whether we're the front part of Hebrews or the, or the little group at the end. Right. Uh, but either way, he is faithful. Uh, and either way, uh, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him 100% of the time. Yeah. Amen. Larry, thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Glad to be with you. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. I am so grateful for Larry, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him and you took something from it as much as I did. Hey, before you go, do me a favor, subscribe, leave a review, only if it's positive, and do me a favor and share this with somebody else and help us get the word out. See you next time.